If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Nahum, look to your neighbor and say Nahum, Nahum chapter 2, Nahum chapter 2, and um, if you if you can, why don't you go ahead and everyone close your eyes, close your eyes, don't be looking around, I see you said divine, close your eyes, everyone close your eyes and listen to the word of the Lord this morning. An attacker advances against you, Nineveh. Guard the fortress, watch the road, brace yourselves, marshal all your strength. The Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob like the splendor of Israel. Through destroyers, though destroyers have laid them waste and have ruined their vines, the shields of the soldiers are red. The warriors are clad in scarlet. The metal on the chariots flashes on the day they are made ready. The spears of juniper are brandished. The chariots storm through the streets, rushing back and forth through the squares. They look like flaming torches. They dart about like lightning. Nineveh summons her picked troops, yet they stumble on their way. They dash to the city wall. The protective shield is put in place. The river gates are thrown open, and the palace collapses. It is decreed that Nineveh be exiled and carried away. Her female slaves moan like doves and beat on their breasts. Nineveh is like a pool whose water is draining away. Stop, stop, they cry, but no one turns back. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold. The supply is endless, the wealth from all its treasures. She is pillaged, plundered, stripped. Hearts melt, knees give way, bodies tremble, every face grows pale. Where now is the lion's den, the place where they feed their young or fed their young, where the lion and lioness went and the cubs with nothing to fear? The lion killed enough for his cubs and strangled the prey for his mate, filling his lairs with the kill and his dens with the prey. I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will burn up your chariots in smoke, and the sword will devour your young lions. I will leave you no prey on the earth. The voices of your messengers will no longer be heard. God, we just pray that your word speaks to us this morning as we delve into it this morning, God. Uh, May you get all the glory and the praise as we jump into this message about the good news of God's vengeance. The good news of God's vengeance. God, may you get all the glory and the praise. Amen. I want to take you back in time. Back, back in time. Get in your DeLoreans. Get in your time machines. Make sure the flux capacitor is working. We're going to go to 88 miles an hour. We're going to go back in time. We're going to go back about 2,700 years ago. And we're going to go back, back, back. 2,700 years ago to what is now in modern-day Iraq, to the east side of the Tigris River, to the ancient city of Nineveh, which actually isn't there anymore, to the ancient city of Nineveh. It was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Empire. Historians say that it was beautiful. Uh, It had a beautiful river that went through it. It had a large palace. And in the palace, artists would go in and they would etch in stone the wonders of their victories in battle. It was beautiful. It was amazing. It was It was an amazing city, bustling, hustling, 
In Nineveh, there was a vast library with a beautiful botanical garden, amazing infrastructures, amazing roads. Can you picture that with me? Just a beautiful city. Almost like Taylor. Amen? A beautiful city. Amen. Praise the Lord. A beautiful city. River running through it. Ancient city. Beautiful city. Now, what's crazy is you, you read about this city in history. It's beautiful. But yet, here in Nahum chapter 2, we see that Nahum, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was speaking destruction to this beautiful city. He's speaking of the, the, the fall of this beautiful city. So, why was God angry with Nineveh? Why was God angry with Especially when, you, you know what I'm talking about? Like, like, like is God ever angry? God is never angry, is he? Why was God angry with Nineveh? Like, like, why, like I, I don't know. Like, I, a lot of times I think we think that God is all about love. Amen? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And a lot of times I think when we go to the Bible, we like to go to the, the good spots, right? We like to go to the Proverbs 32 woman. You know, guys, single guys know what I'm talking about? Proverbs. Okay. We, we go to the love chapter. Um, we go to the book of John. We go to the Gospels. We love that kind of stuff. But here in the scripture, it really seems like God is mad with Nineveh, and we read it, and it's, it's, it's kind of hard to, to digest. And to be honest, I think sometimes when we come across scriptures that speak of God's wrath and God's judgment and God's destruction, a lot of times what we do is we skip over it and we ignore it and we say, you know what, I'm just not going to deal with this. I'm going to go to my favorite passage of scripture, and I'm just going to forget about these passages that speak of God's anger and wrath. But in Nahum chapter 2, if you go and you look through it, you can see that there's 13 verses. Look to your neighbor and say 13 verses. Look to your another neighbor and say 13 verses. Okay, 13 verses. And out of the 13 verses, 12 of them speak of God's anger and judgment and wrath. Wow, 12 of them speak of his anger, judgment, and wrath. And so why in the world was God angry with the people of Nineveh? And how can we rectify that with society today? Because we don't want to hear about God's anger, wrath, and judgment, but we often just want to hear about God's grace and mercy and love. And so how do we rectify, how do we, when we come across this, it's, it's easy just to skip over it, but I'm going to tr- try to, through the power of the Spirit, to exegete it for you so that you are able to handle the scripture a little bit differently. Maybe you're one of those people that parse it, but listen, I'm going to try to handle this. So why was God angry with Nineveh, and why did he judge them? I have a couple of thoughts for you this morning. The first thought for you this morning is that God is just. God is just. Can you look to your neighbor and say, God is just. God is just. Just. Some of us like to hear that. Some of us don't like to hear that. But God is just. And actually, if you read about Nineveh, um, not only in the Bible, but also throughout history, historians have said that Nineveh was a very terrible city, um, even by ancient standards. They They worshiped false gods. They skinned their enemies alive. They loved to behead people and put them on poles. They removed eyes and ears and nose and let their enemies out to wander in the countryside blind. They were barbaric. They were insane. They were bad. And did you guys know that there is a punishment for sin and that God 
is just and that God is full of anger and that God is full of wrath. And just like that, like, like I think throughout history, God was looking at these Ninevites and, he, and, the, and looking at the Assyrians, and he realized that they were a bad, bad, bad city. Bad, bad, bad city. And it's almost like Nahum is heckling Nineveh. Look at verse 1 again. It says, An attacker advances against you, Nineveh. Guard the fortress. Watch the roads. Brace yourself. Marshal all of your strength. It's almost like he's, Nahum's mocking them. He's like, the Lord is going to come and the Lord is just. And he's going to come and he's like, you can try to do all these things. You can try to guard the fortress and guard the roads, but the Lord is going to have his way. In fact, in the first chapter, it says the Lord is slow to anger, but he's great in power. Amen. And so like, 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 like you guys can, like, like the Lord's judgment is coming upon you. In fact, down in verse 11, he says, where now is the lion's den? And what he's doing here is he's actually the lion. He's prophetically, prophetically speaking of Nineveh. And what happened about 30, 40 years later is that Nineveh was besieged by the Babylonians. And what happened is they, they so totally destroyed Nineveh that Nineveh couldn't be found. So prophetically here in verse 11, he's speaking of the destruction that's going to happen to Nineveh in the next 40, 50 years. In fact, they so besieged Nineveh, they so destroyed it, that many historians... Uh, didn't even think that Nineveh existed. They thought Nineveh was just like a, um, like a mythical city that was uh, talked about in literature. And they, 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 in fact, people for many years doubted the Bible and doubted that these things were historical and doubted that things, these things were accurate. And in the 1800s, just a couple hundred years ago, not like 150 years ago, archaeologists actually unearthed the city of Nineveh, which is pretty cool. And so history sp- speaks to the accuracy of the Bible, which is awesome. And so they unearthed Nineveh, but prophetically here, Nahum is speaking about Nineveh, and he's saying, listen, where now is the lion's den? He's like, Nineveh's going to be destroyed, it's going to be demolished, it's going to be laid waste because of the sin that they have done. Because God is just. God is just. God is just. You know, it's interesting. I think, can I give you an illustration this morning? No, please don't, Evan. Please don't. I'm going to. Okay, sorry. It's almost like, I almost view scripture like a beautiful quilt. Do we have any quilters? I should have asked my homeschool friends. Do we have any quilters here? Quilters, no quilters. Okay, so so imagine a, do you know what a quilt is? Okay, so imagine, <laughs> imagine a beautiful quilt. And imagine that the Bible is this beautiful quilt that is quilted from Genesis to Revelation. It's beautifully quilted. And within the quilt, there are many strands. There are many beautiful strands. There are many beautiful threads. And you look at it and you're like, oh my goodness, that is such a beautiful quilt. I love this quilt. This quilt is amazing. This quilt is like the, 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 the colors are so vibrant and the colors are so true. The co- the color, I just love the colors of this quilt. Imagine that the Bible is a quilt that is quilted from Genesis to Revelation. And what I find is, um, uh, Brian, what's your favorite color? Blue. Perfect. All right. Gray? Uh, blue, gray. Any other pe- favorite, favorite color? Purple? Jasmine? Red, okay, okay. I'm like, Jasmine, wow, cool. Okay, 
So what happens is, <laughs> this illustration is going astray, I see. Um, what happens is, what we, what we tend to do is when we read scriptures, we say, I really like this color, and I really like this color, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this color here that, that speaks of God's anger and judgment, I'm going to pull it out. Pull it all the way out, and hopefully no one notices. Put it over here. And this other color here, that maybe represents God's wrath, I'm going to take out. Oh, and this one's messed up, so I don't even, I'm going to take it out, and it's, 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 uh, it's going to pull out some other threads as well, and take it out over here. I'm going to take this out as well, and now, you know, now when I look at the quilt, it's still kind of beautiful, but the problem is that the integrity of the quilt is tarnished. It's tarnished. It's, 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 not, it's not what it was supposed to be. And I would say that if we do not fully understand the, the significance of God's wrath and God's judgment, that we will not fully understand the significance of God's grace. And what happens is we come in and we say, I'm going to take out all the judgment because everyone's right and no one's wrong and everything is relative. And not only does it remove God's judgment, but it also cheapens God's grace. Because you realize suddenly, oh, well, if I'm a good person, if I'm a great person, then I don't have to worry. You know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm forgiven, but I'm really not forgiven from that much. Like, I'm really not that bad, right? I mean, I'm not as bad as Nineveh. Look at Nineveh. Nineveh was beheading people. Nineveh was putting people's heads on stakes. Nineveh was flaying people. Nineveh was sacrificing. I'm not as bad as Nineveh. But God set a standard in the Bible, and it actually started all the way in the book of Genesis. God set a standard. And it says in Genesis that, that there was a fall, and that because of the fall of man, because of man ate of the, ate, ate of the fruit of the, of the tree that he wasn't supposed to, it says that there was a sin gap. Look to your neighbor and say, sin gap. A sin gap. So no matter how hard you try, guess what? We have all fallen short of God's glory. We've all fallen short of God's grace. We've all fallen short of God's perfect standard. And even if our sin is something small, like maybe lying to our spouse or, 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 or watching something you're supposed to be watching or saying things that are in trouble, whatever, even if your sin is small, in, in, in Scripture it says that the wages of sin is death. There's a sin gap. And if we remove sin, and if we remove the judgment for sin, we cheapen grace. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is just. We do not meet the standard. God is just. God is just, but also, listen closely, not only is God just, And can I pause for a moment and say that I think the only time we don't like judgment is when it comes from God. Or maybe from other people, but other people and God. Like, I think we're great at judging other people, aren't we? 
Do you guys agree with me? We're great at judging other people. Like, can you believe what Dean was wearing the other day at church? He is such a crazy man. Can, can, you, can you believe the way that uh, Judy was treating the helpers at the rummage sale? Like, like, can you believe the way that these people look? Can you believe the way that these people act? Can you believe, like, can, can, can you... Can you believe, you know, the pastor Nate is cool and all, but those kids are, they're such little, they're, they're, they're hellions, they're terrible. If he could just get the youth in order, I would be so appreciative if he just handled them. They're so bad, and oh my goodness, if, 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 uh, if Ken could just park properly on a Sunday morning, I'd love it, okay? He just parks like a wild man. I think we are great <laughs> at judging other people, but I think the problem is when judgment comes from God, we realize that we might have flaws. Judgment as, is just as much of a promise in Scripture as salvation. The wages of sin is death. And God promises judgment for wickedness. And God sets a standard, and there's a sin gap. And the wages of sin is death. And sin separates us from God. And, 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 and there's spiritual death. And one day we must all stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And God is just. In the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing of his kingdom, he is just He's, he is the judge. God is just. Remember that this morning. Truth is not relative to your situation. I often hear people say, that's my truth. No, it's the Lord's truth. God is just. God sets the standard. He sets the perfect standard. And all of us have fallen short of it. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God is just. But praise the Lord, God is patient. Can I get an Amen. Like, he's just, but praise the Lord, he is patient. He is so patient. And to be honest with you, um, it is amazing the patience of the Lord. He is so patient. And I, I thank the Lord that he is patient. I thank the Lord every day that he's patient with me and patient with my flaws and patient with my kids and patient with my wife. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Patient with, I thank the Lord for his patience and that he's slow to anger. It says that in Nahum chapter 1. He's slow to anger and great in power and that he is patient. I thank the Lord so much that he's just, that one day he will wipe away every tear, and, and that he will judge the living and the dead. I thank the Lord for that, that I don't have to do that. I don't have to, I don't have to, I don't have to worry about doing that, that the Lord will do that someday, and that he will do it um, in his goodness, and that he will do that, and he will do it correctly. But I also thank the Lord that he is patient. He is just, and he is patient. He is just, and he is patient. I thank the Lord that he is patient this morning. I think in the Bible we can see at least three different times where the Lord spoke to Nineveh. And he spoke to them, and he gave them opportunities. The first time that I see is actually found in 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19. There was a king named Sennacherib. Sennacherib, I apologize. Sennacherib. And he went up, and he went to destroy the people of Israel, he went to besiege them. And this Assyrian king was from Nineveh. He was given warnings not to attack them, he was given warnings. And in the 19th chapter, it actually says that the Lord sent an angel down and killed every 
a soldier in the camp, 185,000 soldiers in the camp. The first warning, and it says, the king, he woke up and he saw that all of his troops were dead, and he went back to Nineveh. That was the first warning. The second warning you can see, many, many years later, is when Jonah went to Nineveh. Jonah, Jonah goes to Nineveh, and he's talking to the people of Nineveh, and he doesn't want to go. He runs in the opposite direction. The Lord has an encounter with them. He goes. He preaches to Nineveh. Nineveh is, like, radically transformed by the power of God. The whole city repents, and there's a revival, and they're running around with sackcloth. Even their animals get saved. It's a crazy story. You should read about it in the book of Jonah. And so that's the second warning. But we know that this was written a couple hundred years after that, and Either either they, they repented and it was short-lived or they repented and they didn't pass things on to their kids. Whatever, we find that they go back. So the, the, first, the first time is in 2 Kings chapter 19 when, it, when the angel of the Lord came down and destroyed the armies. The second time is Jonah. And the third time is here because actually Nineveh doesn't fall until about, again, 40, 50 years later. And so they had gotten three opportunities to repent and God, is, God was patient with them. He's patient gives them opportunities and opportunities and opportunities and opportunities. He's patient. God is just, but God is patient. But can I encourage you that eventually, someday, like salvation is today. Salvation is today. Like, don't delay. Don't, don't keep on going back and going back and going, like God is patient, but if you continue, if we continue in our sin, it will eventually lead to our destruction. It will, ta- and, and, and furthermore, it'll take you down a road that you do not want to go down. I mean, we can see from the city of Nineveh that they progressively got more wicked and more wicked and more wicked. And more wicked and more wicked and more wicked. And, and I, don't, I don't know if you've ever been there before where you've done something or you've sinned and, and then you go back to it again and 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 it started as something small and it started getting more intense. And, it started, and before long, you look at where you're at and you're like, how did I get here from where I was? I mean, I thought, you know, this just happened to, you know, I just started falling into this, and the enemy gets a foothold, and the enemy gets latched onto you, and before you know it, it's like you are addicted to this thing, and you're trying to let it go, and you can't, and you feel the, you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit on your back, on your shoulders, like, ah, I just can't, I can't. Listen, salvation is today. God is patient, but your sin will take you further than you want to go, and eventually, your sin will lead you to destruction. Like, God is patient, and God is just, but listen, salvation is today. Salvation is today. God is patient, and I thank you for his mercies, which are new every morning. And I I thank you that I can come to him again and again and again. And I, I thank him that he is full of grace and compassion and love and mercy. I thank him for all those things. But don't allow your sin to take you to death. Salvation is today. God is just. God is patient. And also, listen, this is maybe the, I don't, want to, I don't want to say the best point, but a good point, okay? That God always provides a remnant. God always provides a remnant. 
So here we are. There's, 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 there's 13 verses in Nahum chapter 2. 13 verses, that, uh, 13 verses, and 12 of them speak of God's judgment. And 12 of them speak of God's wrath. 12 of them speak of how God is going to lay waste to the city of Nineveh. How he's going to uh, destroy the lion's den. How he's going to demolish the city, how he's going to leave it laid waste, and, and how, how even history, his history shows, historians show, archaeologists show that it wasn't even found until hundreds of years later. But God always provides a remnant. God always provides a remnant, and God always has redemption available for you. Look at verse 2 again. 13 verses. Twelve of them speak of God's wrath and judgment and anger against Nineveh. But look at verse 2 again. It says, The Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob like the splendor of Israel. Though destroyers have laid them waste and have ruined their vines ruin their vines. That's interesting wordage, isn't it? Let me read that again. The Lord will restore the... Spl- so, 12 verses of destruction. One verse, the second verse, hmm, I would say that it's a prophetic verse, a, a verse where the other verses speak of his judgment and wrath, but there's one verse that speaks of God's redemption, and that speaks of a remnant. Prophetically, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Nahum is speaking here. He says, The Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob like the splendor of Israel, though destroyers have laid them waste and have ruined their vines. Now, Nahum's readers, maybe you do not, but Nahum's readers would have known that the vine was a representation of of the nation of Israel. They've ruined Israel. They've ruined the vines. They've captured her. They've killed many of her people. They've, they've oppressed them and hurt them. They've ruined their vines. And the vines were a representation of the people of Israel. Look at Psalms chapter 80, verse 9 and 10. It says, You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. It's speaking of Israel. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. It's speaking of when they came out of Egypt, and they were wandering in the desert, and God had promised them restoration. You, you transplanted this vine. This, this vine is Israel. And you look at, look at Hosea chapter 10, verse 1. Israel was a spreading vine. He brought forth fruit from it as his fruit increased. He built more altars as his land prospered. He adorned his sacred stones. So he's speaking of Israel. So, so the vine was a representation of Israel. and it was, it was a representation of life. It was a representation of God's promises. It was a representation of God's blessings. Again, there's 12 verses that speak of his destruction. 12 verses that speak of his anger. 12 verses that speak of his judgment. 12 verses that speak of his wrath. But here there's one verse that speaks about the vine. Though the vine has been ruined, though it's been trampled, though it's been laid waste, they, 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 God is going to restore that 
vine. And, and prophetically, I think, not only was he speaking about the rebuilding of the temple in, in Jerusalem, but historically, I think he was also speaking of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus, when he came and he walked. And he said, I am the vine, he says, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, and, and, while every branch that does not bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You, have, you are already made clean because of, uh, because of my word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus, he's prophetically speaking of Jesus. He's prophetically speaking of Israel coming back, but he also, he's also prophetically speaking of Jesus. And he's saying, listen, there will be a remnant, although you uh, maybe are, although Nineveh is, is lost and, and getting destroyed, there's going to be a remnant that's going to come. And he's prophetically speaking of physically of what's going to be happening to Israel, but I think he's also prophetically speaking of spiritually what was going to be happening to Israel this morning. And I can kind of tell you, can I let you guys know this morning that even if you're lost in your transgressions and sins, even if you're completely far away from him, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is here this morning. And you can find fruit and you can find life in him this morning. You don't have to live in your sins anymore, any longer. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the Spirit through life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death.